Good morning, and welcome to episode 619 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Howdy, partner. I can't tell if that's uh, supposed to be a, a joke on <laughs> on me or something. Like I'm trying to figure out whether whether I'm nope. in on it. No? no joke. No joke. Sincere. Sincere howdy, partner, huh? Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> if you are looking for an Orioles season preview podcast, you have come to the right place. In a few minutes, Sam and I will talk to baseball prospectuses Jeff Long, who wrote the Orioles essay in the BP Annual. And in the second segment, BP's Sahadev Sharma will talk to Rock Kubatko, who covers the Orioles for MassInSports.com. However, before we begin, we have an announcement to make. And the last time we had an announcement to make about my going to Grantland and Sam taking over at BP, I cruelly kept everyone in suspense about whether the podcast would survive the announcement. I will not make that mistake again. The podcast is okay. It's not ending. Exhale. This announcement is only good news, or at worst, neutral news. So to bring you up to speed, we want to play you a clip which longtime listeners will remember from episode 164, almost two years ago. On that episode, we talked to Dan Evans, the former Dodgers GM and current Blue Jays scout, who had just agreed to serve as the commissioner of the Northern League, a defunct independent league that he was hoping to revive. So here is an edited excerpt of us talking to Dan. It's just over a minute long, and it starts just after Dan told us that he was looking for team owners. I think I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it at the same time. Well, if you're if you're asking, Sam and I will take one team. <laughs> we will operate it. We'll take care of it. I wonder. It would be interesting if Baseball Prospectus uh, <laughs> did adopt a team. Yes. We could be like a. We could be the. Uh, we could be the uh, general manager by committee for a team. Mm-hmm. God, wouldn't that be a blast, guys? It would and, be a blast. And you know, the fun part about it would be if if the BP group did a really good job. Imagine hanging that one on your mantle. Yeah, I wonder how many people in this conversation are, are joking, because at least one of us is not joking yeah, at we'll, all. We'll be discussing no. this last week. No, I know. And guys, listen, seriously, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Because, you know, unlike a minor league franchise where you have no say on the players, I mean, the players are handed to you. I mean, you know, you both know that. But at affiliates, you know, the general manager of a minor league affiliate is really a business operator. He runs the business element of the minor league franchise. The difference with an independent league club, you're responsible for everything. You're responsible for the makeup of the team, the field staff. Everything is under your jurisdiction. Now, for some people, that's really intimidating. For other people, and some of which have already contacted me, they see that and they go, oh, my gosh, this is my real fantasy team. You know, I'm not drafting guys. I'm putting a club together. So I am sure you can hear how excited we were, but the Northern League never actually came back from the dead, so our idea died with it. However, it was revived last year when Sam got an email from a podcast listener, Tim Livingston, the director of broadcasting for the Sonoma Stompers, an independent league team in the Pacific Association. Sam went to visit the Stompers. He got to know the GM, Theo Fightmaster who is also a podcast listener. He wrote about the Stompers for BP. One thing led to another. And now we are 
very happy to report that Sam and I will be serving as the Sonoma Stompers Baseball Operations Department this summer and writing a book about our experience for Henry Holt, tentatively titled The Baseball Sandbox, although we are still accepting suggestions, which, if all goes well, you will be able to buy for your dad or for yourself for Father's Day 2016. So naturally, we are excited and a little scared, and we wanted to share this news with Effectively Wild fans first because... If not for this podcast and your support of this podcast, we would never have had this idea. We would never have discovered the Stompers, and none of this would be happening. So we wanted you to be the first to hear. And it is the most, I think it's the most effectively wild (laughs) book that could possibly exist. It is. It is. uh, I mean, it is what all 601-ever episodes have been. uh, I don't know if I I would say leading toward, but... um, yeah, this is uh, this is like the ultimate email. <laughs> Basically, yeah, we 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 won't disclose all of our plans, and our plans are evolving. But all of the the things that we have talked about over the last two and a half, almost three years now, all of the the strategies. Why don't teams try this or that? We will put them into practice, or talk about putting them into practice, and see whether they work when real living breathing players are involved and it'll be a story about the stompers the players and us and how we get along with the players and and what the players lives are like and all of the strategies that we have considered at one time or another that teams for one reason or another cannot try but the independent league is a more favorable environment for so we are really looking forward to taking this trip you nervous yes very nervous are you especially nervous, like right now at this very moment? Are you freaking out a little bit? <laughs> My anxiety level is fluctuating dramatically <laughs> th- throughout this day. Really, it's been way up and a little bit lower. Generally, way up. But I'm glad that we get to do it together because if I were doing it with no one or probably with anyone else, I would be even more terrified. So, if uh, if anybody has uh, any advice or any mm-hmm. suggestions, mm-hmm. Uh, by all means, let us know. Email us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might want to put stompers in the uh, email line or something like that, so that I actually read it instead of outsourcing the reading to Ben. <laughs> uh, not that I don't read them all, but I don't read them all. Not anymore. <laughs> I used to used to read them all. Don't read them all anymore. Sorry. Yeah. Read a lot of them, but not all. Uh, also. Uh, to a very small subset of the listeners, some of you are powerful people who have jobs in baseball. We know this. You don't tell us, and then every <laughs> once in a while it slips out. But if you are a person with actual expertise in these things and you think you could give us advice uh, or direction or just want to talk about it, uh, let us know. Drop us a little uh, you know, back-channel email, and, um, and we'll hush-hush. We'll talk about it. And if you're a ball player who is secretly really amazing at baseball and no major league organization has caught on yet. We can be your ticket to the majors. So let let us know why, why we should sign you. Or if you, if you know someone who is an amazing ball player who has not been discovered, let us know about that too. Yeah. Sincerely. That is, he is not lying. That is a true thing. Email us preferably with videos of you and pigs on spits. Mm -hmm. Podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Okay, so that's the announcement. Do we have anything else to say? No, sir. 
Okay. Feel free to ask us about it if you'd like, but we hope that, that you will all read it and enjoy it one day. So thank you for sticking with us to this point. And now we will welcome in Jeff Long. Jeff is a writer for Baseball Prospectus, and if you're an Orioles fan, you may know him as a writer for Baltimore Sports and Life. He also wrote the Orioles essay in the BP Annual. Hey, Jeff. Yes, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. We are happy to have you. You are in Baltimore, so this is an authentic, on-the-ground interview. So we will get to the offseason, and we will get to the upcoming season, but we should probably start in the past and talk a little bit about the 2014 Orioles. And the Sabre discussion of the Orioles over the last few years has revolved around luck and what is luck and what is skill and what might be luck masquerading as skill or vice versa. So tell us what your understanding is of of how the Orioles have beaten Pakoda over the last couple of years or, or beaten the preseason projections how have they done it yeah so the Orioles are weird um (laughs) because you know there's no real easy way to describe why they've been so successful um I think that the Orioles are really pushing a lot of things that are on the edges of our awareness in terms of value uh you know things like uh having a deep bench so that there's little drop off if a key player gets hurt Uh, Things like controlling the running game uh, and having a really strong infield defense. Uh, You know, obviously those things have value and we kind of know they have value. It's just hard to put numbers on them. And so what you really see is this team where the entire starting rotation out pitches their FIP. And you're like, why is this happening over and over and over again? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's things like in the minor leagues, they literally bash into players heads like you need to get your pitch to the plate in, you know, 1.1 seconds. And if you take longer, if your mechanics are slower, you need to speed up because we want to control base runners. Um, And they really, Chris Tillman even recently talked about uh, them telling them how many more runs they give up when a guy steals a base. And now Chris Tillman is one of the best pitchers in baseball at minimizing stolen bases. So, you know, the Orioles have really done a lot of little things that I think, don't have a lot of value in and of themselves, but they add up to be really valuable over the course of a full season and 25 guys on the roster. Uh, And that's really, I think, where you see a lot of their ability to beat the projections and beat what we think they're probably going to actually do on the field. Mm -hmm. So do you think that those things can account for that that giant ERA minus FIP gap that everyone wrote about last October? where you had all these Orioles with respectable three-something ERAs and not-so-respectable FIPs and not-so-respectable strikeout rates or ground ball rates or peripherals or whatever we we normally use to judge pitchers. And, and, you know, the pitching coach gets a lot of credit and Buck Showalter gets a lot of credit, but the stats still say what they say. So do you have a way to bridge that gap, or are you sort of expecting some regression? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because going into last year— 2011 uh, team was really strong. 2012 uh, looked really strong and then performed pretty poorly. Uh, 2012 made the playoffs, really surprised everybody. Everyone was sort of like, where did this come from? Um, 2013, they actually posted another strong year, not as many wins, uh, but their sort of Pythag record, their 
uh, runs scored, runs allowed was much better. The team seemed to be really improving coming into its own. And in 2014, I said, you know, look, this team's probably not a playoff team. Uh, I actually picked Boston to make the playoffs out of, out of the East with Tampa Bay as a wild card team, I think. Um, and, you know, I said, there's probably regression in there. You know, they're probably a, a mid to high 80s win team, but I think you've got to win 90 games to get out of the AL East uh, and what little do I know if they won 96 games so you know I think there's regression in there I think that a lot of things went right Steve Pierce posted like uh, probably a ridiculously good season one that he will never see again uh, they had guys like Caleb Joseph who with pitch framing added a couple of wins um, you know so I don't know that they're going to be able to get the kind of performances back from role players like that again. But um, guys like Machado, Weeders have a chance to step up. Davis, a full season of hopefully not being terrible, could add a couple of wins. I think there's regression in there, but I think that even without bringing in guys to directly replace Nelson Cruz or whoever and really emphasizing those little things, those margins on the periphery of the roster, they, they can kind of assuage some of that uh, regression that they're probably really actually due for. So, Jeff, um, in September, you wrote a piece looking at the value of non-player personnel, like uh, GMs and, um, and managers, compared to top prospects. And uh, I think you were fairly aggressive in putting front office guys uh, higher than most prospects, or a lot of prospects. But even still, you had them below, the best GM you had below prospects. And, and so, presumably, the best GM you would I would say you would probably put below the best players, and that's that's what everybody would do. I think it's it's long been considered uh, that you know a ball player, the best player on the team, is probably more valuable than the manager on most teams. All right, so that's a long buildup. This is an Orioles team that doesn't really have a, a an obvious star. That the star is in a lot of ways their their manager um, and uh, the person who gets as much credit uh, for their success over the past few years. Uh, besides the manager is generally the general manager. So uh, if you were picking kind of one person to save from a burning house in this team, who would be your first pick? Uh, Second question is, uh, if it's not Showalter or Duquette, uh, where would Showalter be uh, in the hierarchy? And third question is, what did you make of all the offseason Duquette um, intrigue? And how significant do you think it would have been to lose him? And what do you think would have been a fair return for him? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, to me, the first person that I would save in a, uh, ironically on Super Bowl Sunday, there was an arsonist through, you know, a Molotov cocktail or something into the Orioles ticket booth. And so the warehouse was literally right. on fire. Um, and I, you know, I was driving across the city saying, somebody get Manny Machado out of the ticket booth. You know, I think Manny Machado is probably the most valuable asset um, he's a guy that one of the fantasy guys posted in their third base preview, his career stats versus Adrian Beltre and Gary Sheffield, uh, over the, the same years, 19 through 21 years old. And his stats were as good, if not better than those two players, you know, Machado is a really special player and presuming his knees can hold up to a full season or even 140 games or whatever, you know, he has immense value. I think he probably is the best player on the team. After that, oh God, it's, it's probably Buck Showalter. Um, there was actually discussion today on Baltimore Sports and Life. Uh, one of the guys said, you know, does Buck Showalter basically have a lifetime contract for you right now? Like, 
you are pretty much open to saying like Buck's our guy until he wants to retire. Uh, and at first I was kind of like, Jesus, that's a little aggressive. Um, but you know, the more you think about it, Buck really has done a great job of getting the most out of the players, really helping guys understand little ways that they can improve and uh, take their game to the next level. It's hard to ascribe value to that, but I think we've seen over and over again, uh, the players praise the leadership that he brings, the ability to mentor players that he brings. And he's probably the the top guy when it comes to Duquette. You know, it's really funny because there's a lot of arguments among Baltimore Orioles fans around who gets credit for the Orioles playoff teams. Is it Duquette? Is it Andy McPhail? Right. And it's kind of the same situation where it goes back to Boston and everyone says like, well, how much credit does Dan Duquette get for the 2004 World Series? Because most of those players were guys that he put together, but Theo gets all the, you know, pomp and circumstance around it. And Duquette's interesting. He's the perfect general manager for the team in its position right now. Uh, he's great at working sort of the margins of the roster. He's great at finding uh, good trade deals and extracting as much value as possible out of possible trades. He is really strong at taking a team that's a borderline contender and pushing them over the edge. If we were to lose him, I would like to believe that that skill set is fairly replaceable. Uh, I don't know who that would be. Hopefully it wouldn't be among that list of potential replacements they floated out there like Omar Minaya and Kevin Towers. Uh, but I do think that that sort of skill set of finding guys in the periphery of the roster, signing a lot of 4A guys who can step in that Buck can sort of deploy in really intelligent ways isn't necessarily rocket science. Um, Duquette certainly does a much better job of that than most other general managers, but I, I would like to think that he's replaceable um, more so than Buck Showalter, who, who actually has to put these guys like Jimmy Paredes in um, positions to succeed and not positions to fail. I'd just like to correct something you said. You said that was a great question. That was three great, great questions. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> technically four, I think. You named three, but the third one was a two-parter. So, uh, so Pakoda uh, is, uh, I imagine, coming in for some scorn from, all, uh, from Orioles fans who note that, uh, like every, literally everybody else, uh, it has been down on the Orioles more than should have been for each of the past three years and is again down on the Orioles, I think projecting them to finish probably last in the division. And I see the point, but I also wonder whether it's conceivable that we all did catch up to what the Orioles, the the true talent improvements that the Orioles made over the past three years, that everybody is on board about how good they were last year. But then they lost you know, they lost two of their best players, and Steve Pierce is like, uh, I mean, the the biggest regression candidate in baseball. Is it conceivable that Pakoda is is actually exactly as bullish on, Pakoda, on uh, the Orioles as they need to be? Yeah, you know, the Orioles to me, um, and I don't know if it's because I was a fan through the 14 years of despair, you know, where the Orioles were just atrocious and they ran guys like Rodimus Lee's out there on, you know, the day opener. Um, but I always feel like in the back of my mind, there's a distinct crash and burn possibility that this team is going to win 60 games. You know, um, I think it's a really volatile roster. Um, there's a lot of guys with a lot of upside and a lot of crash potential, like Chris Davis, like Manny Machado, if his knees give out, 
Uh, they're relying on Matt Wieters coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, they have a pitching staff of, let's be honest, number four pitchers. All, almost all five of their pitchers are number four pitchers. Maybe Kevin Gossman's a three with potential to be a two. You know, so they're it's it's almost smoke and mirrors. And um, the Orioles fans, the true Orioles fans, the diehard Orioles fans, will tell you that uh, it's Oriole magic and, you know, Buck Showalter saying his, you know, magical phrases and they're all you know, drinking Michael Jordan's secret stuff from Space Jam and it's giving them these uh, powers to outperform what on paper we think that they should be doing. Um, I don't know. It's scary, right? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the team won, you know, 75 games next year. I honestly wouldn't. I also wouldn't be surprised if they won 96 games again. You know, there's such a wide range of possibilities that, to me, the Pocota projection, I think it's 78 wins, is low. It seems low, but not so low that I'm like, man, they just have no clue about the Orioles. Um, You know, I certainly could see a 78-win season for sure. So tell us about the offseason, because if it were not for this recent news about Everth Cabrera nearing a contract, there would be almost no new additions to talk about. It's all guys who left. Nelson Cruz, Nick Marcakis, Andrew Miller. Last winter, this was kind of a story also, how Duquette bided his time and waited right until just before spring training, and then he swooped in and he got Nelson Cruz on a great deal, and added Ubaldo Jimenez also, and, and now it seems as if it's it's too late for anyone to do much swooping. Of course, there are guys coming back from, from injury or suspension, but you also had the Red Sox adding, you had the Blue Jays adding. Are you surprised that the Orioles didn't do more, and what would you have liked them to have done? It's a tough offseason for them for a lot of reasons. There was the whole Duquette to Toronto speculation for three months, and it really heated up in, I guess, uh, mid-December-ish. But really, those rumors first started coming out right during meetings. And so you kind of wonder how much his hands were tied throughout from winter meetings on throughout the rest of the winter. We I don't know that we'll ever know how much that sort of uh, tied the organization's hands. But... It's a it's an interesting position this organization is in because they're losing, potentially losing Matt Wieters, potentially losing Chris Davis, um, Darren O'Day, who's been arguably their best reliever since you know he joined the team. Um, they have some big pieces that are kind of going away. Nick Markakis, another one. They're on the precipice of potentially needing to rebuild. And so, I get, especially after Ubaldo Jimenez was a complete and utter disaster last season, I get the wariness from the organization to want to add more big contracts and kind of throw the dice out there and see if they come up with sevens. So I understand that to a certain degree, but I do think that on the token, you know, they're at a point where if this season goes poorly, they probably need to start selling players and building a team around. Manny Machado, Kevin Gossman, Dylan Bundy, Hunter Harvey eventually. And, you know, that's that's a tough pill to swallow too. So it's really a tough spot for the club to be in to say, do we go for it all this year or do we try and continue to build in a smart way and, you know, not spend a ton of money, not put put a lot of big contracts on our books right now 
and next season's free agent class looks much better than this past one. Maybe they try and go for some big names next year, assuming they don't all get extended. You know, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And I've kind of bounced all over the place this offseason as far as what I want them to do. I really would have liked to see them make a trade and try and bring in like a Justin Upton, but without being a Dylan Bundy, I don't know if that ever happens. I'm, I'm probably not going to of Bundy at this point, knowing that you're losing some big names next offseason. So it's tough. Mm-hmm. And you are a pitch FX specialist. A lot of your research is based on pitch FX. So what have you seen from Gossman? Mostly good things, I would imagine. But what, what have you seen from him? What do you expect from him? And what role would you like to see him in or expect to see him in this season? I, I really like Kevin Gossman. I think that he has uh, top of the rotation potential. The thing that is holding him back currently is that he's really a fastball splitter slash changeup kind of guy. Uh, he throws two different changes. He throws a split change and a circle change. Um, but it's, he's really kind of fastball splitter, and it works well enough, especially against opposite-handed hitters. But he had a pretty good slot. Slider um, still has theoretically a pretty good slider. Command of that pitch is a little bit of a struggle for him. So my hope for this year is that he starts working on the slider, incorporating it more into games, throwing it more than you know five or six times a game, um, because that's, in my opinion, what's holding him back from being a true top of the rotation guy. Because the stuff's there. I mean, he's a smart pitcher. He works down in the zone. He could stand to pitch up in the zone a little bit more with his fastball. You know, if he does it in a way um, but he really just needs that that breaking pitch that's gonna augment his sort of fastball changeup repertoire and you know he, we know he has it I mean it's just a matter of him building the confidence in that pitch to throw it and if he does I do think that he's a, a pretty big breakout candidate for this year because the stuff is straight filthy I mean he is a ridiculously fun pitcher to watch pitch so um, what is your expectation for how they'll use Ubaldo this year? What is your expectation for how they'll use Dylan Bundy uh, long term? And which of the two will start more games this year? And which of the two is more likely to start a postseason game this year? Oh, man. Um, you know, the idea of sunk costs hasn't really caught on in Major League Baseball, which is why Ryan Howard you know, still plays first base. So I, I think Jimenez gets a little bit longer of a leash this year. Um, not necessarily longer than last year, but longer than maybe he should. The Orioles are going to be interesting. In the beginning of the year, they're going to play with the roster a little bit. They have Chris Davis serving a suspension. Matt Wieters could theoretically start the season on the, desert, on, on the DL. They're potentially going to go into the season with maybe three or four starters because off days and things and so it'll be interesting to see what they do i actually think gossman starts the year in triple a until they need him and ubaldo jimenez is sort of that fourth fifth starter for the beginning of the season um and then eventually they'll bring up gossman and i imagine that jimenez will probably start until he's either so terrible that he gets banished to the bullpen and uh, you know long relief duty or he pitches well enough to sort of maintain that role and then if Dylan Bundy comes along and forces something, then maybe Jimenez will find his way into the bullpen. But it's tough. They spend a lot of money. It's They generally don't sign pitchers to long contracts. And so I feel like they're trying to justify it by saying, like, oh, he's bounced back. He's done this before. You know, he's been terrible and then had a really great season the next year. So we're going to give him to do it. And, you know, it would really help 
the team, obviously, if he could not be as terrible as he was last season this year. <laughs> and as for Bundy, he's really an enigma. There's a lot of backlash today because uh, Baseball America named him like the number 49 prospect in baseball or something. But the kid came back less than a year after Tommy John surgery. He was pitching like 91 to 93, which is pretty light for him. But towards the end of the season, he was up to 96, 95, 96 regularly. Uh, he has filthy stuff. He's His work ethic is unparalleled. I think I suspect that the O's will kind of start him out on a similar plan to what he started when he first became a pro, which is like five inning starts. Um, you know, to kind of limit his number of innings with the hope of calling him up later in the season. I don't think he starts a ton of games this year, but I think that he'll probably start maybe, I don't know, 10 games max um, with Jimenez maybe getting 15 or so, 15 to 20. And then, you know, next season is really going to be Dylan Bundy prime time because he's going to have to make the start rotation out of spring training next year. Uh, and I think, I like, don't think he'll have a problem doing that, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all kind of plays out this season. You said Gosman's like you think Gosman will start in the minors. He seems to me to be their best pitcher. Is that going to be a massive backlash if they do that? Yeah. So the reason I say that, I actually wrote an article, Baltimore Sports, um, and it was one that I've been kind of kind of wanting to write for a while about how Dan Duquette is is most likely in my mind going to play with this roster flexibility he has at the beginning of the year with going with four starters and Matt Weiders maybe being on the DL. So they're going to have some 25-man, 40-man roster spots to play with. And I think Duquette's going to try and use that to keep some Rule 5 guys in the org longer than he probably should or some guys like J.P. Aaron Celia so that other teams can't scoop him up on waivers. In order to do that, he's going to have to sit someone down, and Kevin Gossman has options. And I believe he's actually the only pitcher in the O's starting rotation who can be sent down, you know, without his consent. So in my mind, I think it's inevitable that he gets sent down. It, unless he's so lights out in spring training that it's going to be the number two guy, I think Tillman's going to start, you know, opening day down in Tampa, and they're going to go maybe the eighth or ninth game of the season and then bring Gossman back up. We always traditionally ask our guest for a win total prediction. So give us a win total prediction and tell us where you see the Orioles finishing in this division. Yeah, so uh, I had them missing the playoffs last year and they made me look like a fool. So I think they're a wild card team. So I'm going to say 89 wins this season. Mm -hmm. That would be that would be my best guess. I have almost no faith in that in that guess though. <laughs> I think they're going to finish second in the division. I have Boston winning the division. Uh, I think it'll probably Boston more uh, Toronto and Tampa Bay are pretty close. I actually think the Yankees might last because they're just really old. And, you know, if anybody gets hurt, it's just, uh, New York is just such an enigma. Those bottom three teams are kind of in a one little tier with each other. I really think that Baltimore and Boston are probably the teams to beat. Uh, Pakoda be damned, but we'll see what happens and how it all shakes out. All right. Well, thank you for giving us your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. So everyone can find Jeff's writing at Baseball Prospectus and at Baltimore Sports and Life. You can find him on Twitter at BSL Jeff Long. And after our little musical interlude, you will hear Sahadev speaking to Rock Kubatko of MassInSports.com. Something like a bird within her sail All I know she's saying a little 
you know I'll show you stories. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Rock Kubatko, who covers the Orioles for Mass and Sports, and we are going to preview the 2015 Orioles. The Orioles are seems uh, at least of late are perennially underrated by Pakoda this year after a 96 win season uh, they lose some key players but uh, still uh, all the way down to 78 wins projected by Pakoda you know in in Chicago I know the White Sox front office in the past Kenny Williams and even Rick Hahn uh, they've They've been asked about the Pakota projections, and they each have their own opinions on it. Uh, do the, are the Orioles front office? Are they have they been asked questions about it? Do they ever, uh, you know, try and explain why why they expect to be better than what our projections have often had them at? Yeah, I mean the Orioles for one thing, and I don't even think they use it as like motivation or as a chip on their shoulder. They're mostly amused by the fact that people keep picking them to finish last or, or near the bottom. I mean, it's been that way every season. And Buck Showalter even mentioned, you know, he went to the BBWAA uh, Awards Dinner in New York, and he said it was like last season never even happened. Like, people just kind of moved on to 2015. It's like, oh, by the way, you know, this team did win 96 games and get to the ALCS, sweeping the Tigers in the division series, but they seem to be easily dismissed. And the Orioles don't seem angry by it. They just seem to – I think they enjoy that. They like being the underdog. They like kind of laying in the weeds. And being overlooked, they, they, they're amused by it. Uh, and they say, you know, that happens every year. We've had three straight winning seasons, playoffs two of the last three. And, and they expect to get back again. They keep stressing, basically, that they've got all their pitching back except for Andrew Miller. And as good as he was, he's only there a couple months. That bullpen was good before he arrived. And really, the, the pitching, especially the rotation, that really got them into the postseason. And they feel like they've added from within the organization just by having Matt Weeders and Manny Machado and Chris Davis back. Those are three big additions. Got to really didn't contribute much for a variety of reasons last season when they did win those 96 games and won, run away with the division. So, you know, they look at it like they're poised to go ahead and, and be just as good, if not better, than, than they were the previous season. Whether that's true or not, it remains to be seen. But they really feel good about where they are right now. You touched on it there, and I, and I'll get to get to it in a second. But they they lost some production offensively uh, in Cruz and Marquecas. And you know, you look at this roster, and just as it's currently constructed, I can there, there's not a lot of guys with a ton of history, so it makes sense for Pakoda to kind of say, well, oh, be be down on this team. But, you know, outside of like Hardy and and uh, and Adam Jones, there's there's not guys that have produced for a long period of time, uh, but. But they, I'm assuming they weren't, they they didn't plan on going into the season with the corner outfielders that they currently have slotted as the starters. Uh, you know, you have to replace that production for Marquecas and Cruz. There's there's ways to do it, but w- what was their original plan to kind of to kind of fill those corner outfield spots or at least one? That, I'm assuming I, I remember hearing rumblings that they were after some bigger names. Yeah, I mean, really, right now it's a combination. They've got all hundred Diaza. They think could be the everyday left fielder, possibly the leadoff hitter as well. Although they're in the process of trying to sign uh, uh, Cabrera from that was with the Padres. Then um, uh, right field, they're looking at a possibility of Travis Snyder that they got from the Pirates, who had a really big second half last year. They think it's kind of on the rise. He's been disappointed as a top prospect at one time, a first round pick with the Blue Jays. They think maybe he's kind of finally getting a figure out. And they've got Steve Pierce, who put career numbers across the board last season who could play left, could play right. So you've got the combination. David Lowe had a really strong second half and 
somewhat smaller sample size, but he hit much better second half than he did the first. He had a plus defense in all three positions. So I think this is kind of like a mix and match depending on who's swinging the bat well, who's the opposing pitcher is, that sort of thing. I think they think it's easier to replace Mark Cates' production as on-base capabilities than it is to replace 40 home runs from Nelson Cruz. But they don't feel like they need to have one guy come in and do that. Getting a full season out of Machado, a full season out of Weeders, a full season out of Chris Davis who could get the exemption for Adderall. They hoping that that'll make a difference. And J.J. Hardy only hit nine home runs last season, and he's normally good for 20 to 25, and he'll be healthy, they're hoping, and kind of get that home run swing back. He became more of a, a singles-type hitter when he was dealing with an injury last season. That combination, they think, will make up for it. You know, they've led the majors in home runs the last few seasons, but again, they don't feel like that's the reason that they've got as far as they have. It's more about the pitching and defense, so, you know, they feel like they're, they're still set. But, you know, again, time will tell. Who knows if Travis Snyder's going to be what they think he is or Diaz is going to be what they think he is over a full season. But that's what they're counting on right now. And, again, Steve Pierce. We have to find out whether Pierce is a guy that finally, you know, getting a chance to play full-time will be as good as they think he's going to be or whether it was kind of a flukish career-type year for him. We're going to find that out as well. But they're counting on him to be as good or better than he was last season. Yeah, and you mentioned three names that that I'm I'm thinking about here, and that's uh, Weeders, Machado, and Davis. They did they won 96 games with that largely without any production from those three last year. I mean that those weren't the guys that were carrying them, and most and you know Weeders missed the whole season, and Davis was not close to the 2013 Davis that we saw. Uh, if they're if if all three of them are are playing at a high level, it, it's not crazy to think that they they won't miss uh, Cruz's production. Right. I mean, I just think a combination of those three can make up for it. And, you know, not to, to overlook what Cruz did. He had himself a big year. Uh, it worked for both sides. The Orioles got what they wanted out of him, and he used it as a platform after settling for a one-year, $8 million deal to go ahead and get the much bigger four-year deal from the marriage. So it worked for both sides. But if you look at his splits, he hit a lot of home runs in the beginning, and I believe he had a really good September. But there was that gap there, the you know, middle of the season, the middle months there, where he wasn't as productive. And he had most of his home runs in the first half. And the Orioles actually broadened their lead, the division, in the second half. So, you know, they, they, they didn't rely on him solely. He didn't carry them. He was a, a big contributor, mainly a DH. They weren't as comfortable with his defense in left field. But there were other guys that stepped up, and there are other reasons why they ended up being as good as they were. So, again, not to, not to overlook what he accomplished, but – it wasn't like he was this big bat for them throughout the season. There were there were stretches where he really wasn't as productive as, as you would think. Uh, you know, Dylan Bundy is a name that almost gets forgotten nowadays. You know, a few years ago he was the hot prospect name, and and you know came up and helped. Uh, uh, help the Orioles get, get into the postseason, and I'm assuming there's still plenty of buzz about him in Baltimore. What are their expectation, expectations for him in 2015? Is, is are they just going to you know keep it keep it slow with him and hope maybe he can contribute later, or is he more of a 2016 guy? Well, they're looking right now. He's probably ticketed for Double A Bowie, and uh, if there are no restrictions on. That's the good news. He comes into camp working with the same schedule as every other pitcher. You know, in the past, it's kind of like bring him along more slowly uh, because of the Tommy John surgery. But he's full go right now. Uh, I'm sure that they'll still monitor his innings during the season. There's going to be a limit. But he'll start out at Bowie, and after that, it's pretty much up to, you know, how he's pitching and if there's a need for him. I could see him at the very least in a September call-up and maybe being a guy who ends up in the bullpen, which is what Gosman did for them, you know, in the postseason and has done in the past. He could end up being a, a guy he could bring in as a power arm, 
for an inning or two, and again, they kind of get, a, get reacclimated to the majors after having that surgery. But they're, they're very optimistic about him, his recovery, and the fact that he's kind of, you know, he, he's matured enough that he, he's learning that, you know, a little less sometimes is more, if that makes sense. Like, he, he was such a, a workout fiend in the offseason. I don't think he's doing himself any favors with some of the stuff he had been doing. Some of the, the exercises, whatever, I mean, the guy that's, you know, pushing a wheelbarrow around, throwing a shot, pulling whatever, and I think he's kind of learned that, look, it's okay to take some time off in the offseason and, and, you know, be a little more careful. He's in tip-top shape, but, you know, he needs a little bit of more balance there and, and his life. He's, he's such a serious kid. You respect the work ethic. I think it was almost hurting him a little bit. So, uh, But, again, he'll start out in double-A, and uh, after that just depends how he's throwing. But he's still their top prospect, and it is a guy that you kind of forget about. Oh, yeah, right, Dylan Bundy. And, you know, a lot of things would have to go wrong for him to end up in the rotation early in the summer because there are so many guys ahead of him right now. You have to have a lot of injuries. So you're hoping that doesn't happen for the Orioles. But he is a guy that I think by late this season could go ahead and get a look in September if he doesn't need to be shut down. And then, you know, we'll go from there. I mean, I think more so then he could compete for a spot in the rotation maybe in 2016. You know, I, I remember looking at that rotation and heading into the ALCS. It just made me kind of think, you know, maybe you don't absolutely need an ace to go deep in the postseason. You don't need that stud arm. There's no one guy that kind of stands out, but it's very balanced, solid rotation, one through five. But but would that be a nice is that is that something maybe that they're looking for from Gaussman just kind of taking that next step and just developing into that front of the rotation arm that that guy that can really start game ones or is that is that too high of expectations for him or maybe anybody in that five right now? I think if you talk to any scout, they project Gaussman as a future number one. He's got the high ceiling, he's got that stuff. But he's also a guy that they're still kind of looking at his innings where I don't think they're ready to pack him for a 200 innings. And they did such a good job last year, so they wouldn't have to shut him down late in the year of kind of really monitoring the innings earlier in the season so that he was, there were no restrictions later on. He could pitch right through the postseason. That'll be the plan again this year. I think he was, you know, combining majors and minors with like around 157 innings. So I would think they'd bump him up to at least 180. But he is the guy that they really look at as the future ace. I guess we have to look at what the definition is of ace. I mean, Chris Tillman right now is the ace of the staff, and yet you don't hear him mention with the, the Burlanders and the Kershaws and Wainwright and whoever, and I understand that. But look what he's done the last couple seasons. You know, the one loss record, ERA, he's eclipsed 200 innings the last two seasons. I think he's made, you know, 34 and 33 starts the last two years. And in some ways, that does tell you this guy's an ace, but he's still, you know, he's got to go ahead and do it over a consistent, you know, period, a longer period of time. Uh, but, you know, they, they like him in that number one slot. There's no doubt he's the ace. But then you look, Bud Norris won 15 games. Wayne Shannon, I believe, won 16. He's a pending free agent with Scott Boris as his agent. So if he duplicates the year he had or exceeds it this season, he's going to be in line for a really nice payday. Miguel Gonzalez is constantly overlooked, and you look at what he did. Uh, you know, over his last, you know, 12, 14 starts, whatever, in the second half. But he's always the guy that seems the odd man out. They have to make room in the rotation. And the balls of Menez are hoping for a bounce-back year. Right now they've got six starters for five spots. But you're right. I think it's more the sum of the parts when you look at the Orioles and the rotation. There's that one guy that jumps out where you say, you know, he's an absolute stud. But that rotation combined, even with Jimenez's poor year, is still very good, and that Buck Showalter keeps telling anybody that'll listen. That's the reason they made the postseason. That's the reason they won those 96 games. Primarily, it was that rotation. I know the Everett Cabrera signing hasn't officially been announced, but it sounds like he's headed to Baltimore. 
is is this kind of a depth move? I mean, when he's healthy and you know not suspended, he he has he has produced in the past at a at a decently high level. I, th- I believe he made an All Star game with the with the Padres. It, it was just one really solid season, you know, playing good shortstop. But is this a depth move? Is this is this maybe uh, scope? Uh, has to worry about his starting job come April, or well, what's the what's what's going on with this uh, acquisition? This would be another classic kind of Dan Duquette loop, like with uh, Cruz and Jimenez, where somebody seems to fall into his lap really late in the off season. I mean, yeah, they signed four guys last off season after we got to Sarasota. That's going to happen at least with uh, Cabrera. It looks like uh, I think that. Primarily, they love the speed. He brings an element they don't really have. A speed, stolen base guy. You know, love the National League of stolen bases when you're a 44. Uh, and could be a top-of-the-order guy if you want to find a leadoff hitter to replace Marquez. And the question is, where he fits in since he's primarily a shortstop and the Orioles don't have a need for one. So it comes down to whether, you know, he's going to replace Jonathan Scope at second base or Ryan Flaherty as a utility-type guy. He's only played, I think, 12 games in the majors at second base, but Earl Weaver used to say, if you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere. And the Orioles feel like he could move around. So that's one of the more interesting storylines now in camp, once he finally gets here, is whose job is he going to take? Because I don't think there's any way the Orioles can carry all three of those guys. So if he's going to be the everyday second baseman, then Skill probably ends up going down. And uh, otherwise, they say, okay, well, he can move around a little bit, and he's going to hit more than Ryan Flaherty does, and Flaherty ends up at Norfolk. All three of them have an option. That includes Cabrera, and the Orioles probably would not have pursued him if he hadn't had one. So we're going to see how that plays out. But, you know, as much as Buck values defense and, you know, Jonathan Scope hit you know, low 200s, he flirted with the Mendoza line, and he was able to stay in the majors because of his love. And the same with Flaherty. He's a plus defender, they feel like anywhere. But at some point, you do have to produce more at the plate and, you know, you've got, you know, Flaherty and, and Scope hit the low 200s. So it's like, hey, you're going to have to do better than that. And, and Buck says, you know, competition is a good thing. So we're going to see who the chocolate player is going to take. And if he does, if he has a poor spring and he's, that ends up going down, he does have that option. I'm sure he's got an opt-out. Uh, so he won't be able to stay there all season. But, you know, it's not like he's guaranteed a job. He's going to have to earn it as well. Uh, with Weeders, what's, what's the status with his health and really is – how much what are the chances that he resigns at the end of the year you know he's a Boris contract so I don't see an extension especially a year out I think we all know that doesn't happen very often with Boris uh, guys but but is he is it realistic to think you know if he has a strong season that Baltimore will be in on him again or is he going to price himself out if with a strong season what what's uh, what's the status both contract wise and health wise with him well health wise it looks really good so far I mean he's in a position now where he's, uh, you know, he's able to hit. He's able to pretty much do everything except throw with maximum force from behind the plate. So they're going to ease him into that. He, right now he's targeted to make his first start behind the plate in Grapefruit League game on March 17th. But in the meantime, Buck Showalter said he may catch the couple of, you know, the first two inter-squad games on March 1st and 2nd. Because with inter-squad, you can control, you know, the running game of the other team, obviously. That's your team. So you don't have to worry about him making any throws a second. And then otherwise, he'll DH until the 17th. That's where um, uh, Dr. Andrews has kind of pinpointed when it would be okay for him to be really a really full go behind the plate. But otherwise, he's going to be doing all the drills. So really encouraged with his recovery. You know, the openers, April 6th in St. Pete, it's going to be close. And it's one of these deals where if he's not quite ready again, it's going to be very close to that. So, so far, so good with him. Contract-wise, yeah, he's a Boris guy. So 
I don't think it's going out on a limb to predict he's probably going to test the market because that always seems to be how it is. And it's just going to depend on what the price is, you know, coming off whatever kind of season he's going to have this year. The Orioles certainly want to bring him back. I mean, you know, Buck loves him. He brings so many intangibles to this team. But you're right. Will he possibly place himself out of Baltimore? That's the question because they've got 11 pending free agents. Not just readers. You've got Chris Davis. You've got Bud Norris. You've got Wei Yin Chen. You've got Steve Peters. You've got Tommy Hunter. You've got Darren O'Day. Just those guys alone, plus Diaz and a couple others. So, you know, they're not going to be able to keep all of them. They're going to figure out which guys they can make a run at. And Weeders, Davis, Chen, all represented by Boris. So they're going to have to work cut out for them. But I know they would hate to lose Matt at the same time. What uh, A few years ago, they drafted, like, three catchers with the first seven picks. They're kind of starting to stockpile catchers in preparation for the, you know, in case Matt does end up leaving them. But they would want to keep them, but, man, he could easily price himself out of Baltimore with a big year. And I think people are already thinking, okay, the Braves are going to be a good team making the run at him. He bought a house in Atlanta. Of course, he went to Georgia Tech. So I don't think it's hard to connect the dots there. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would uh, definitely be interesting to see Atlanta come and poach him, uh, go back to the hometown. Uh, as far as, before I let you go, everything that I'm, that I've been asking, I've been asking everybody that I've had on, uh, not so much what's the important, most important thing for the team, but what's the storyline or event, whatever, what, that you're looking forward to as a reporter to cover this year for the Orioles? Well, I think it's going to be the bounce back type years of the guys we were talking about. You know, what's, what's the child going to be able to do? Can he get a full healthy season? Uh, you know, with surgery on both knees. You know, is Chris Davis going to get back to the guy he was in 2013? Maybe it's unfair to expect 53 home runs, but can he do better than what he did this past year? He had 196. He's a better hitter than that. I mean, he's not a guy who's all or nothing at the plate with the long ball. Like, he had the oblique injury that was preventing him from driving the ball to left and left center field, which is a big part of his approach at the plate. You know, what you're going to get from weeders. I mean, I think those are kind of the big storylines there. Because if you get those three guys to have the kind of years the Orioles are expecting them to have, but again, it easily makes up for the losses of losses of Marquez and Cruz. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting trio because you know obviously they got so little for them last year, but they all have MVP talent. Uh, it's I don't think it's a stretch to say that even with the young guys. I mean, they're they're both Weeders and Machado were very, but I think they were both top five prospects uh, when they were you know coming up through the system. So th- these are top tier talents, and and if they can even get close to reaching their potential in twenty six to twenty fifteen, it's it's hardly a stretch to see the Orioles uh, back in the playoffs. Uh, Rock, before I before I let you go, why don't you just let everyone know where they can read your work, uh, find find your work, and and find you on social media. Uh, yeah, the blog is School of Rock, and somebody else came up with that name, but we ran with it. It's at MassinSports.com, uh, and uh, it's at MassinRock on Twitter. All right, that's Rock Kabatko, covers the Orioles for Masson Sports. Thanks so much for your time, Rock. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, my, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, that's it for our Orioles preview podcast. Thanks for listening. You can join our Facebook group to talk about the Orioles or talk about the Sonoma Stompers at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and you can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And while we will not mention it every day between now and the day it comes out, we hope that one day you will also support the podcast by purchasing the Baseball Sandbox, which one day next year will be coming to a bookstore near you. Thanks for listening to our podcast this week. 
We will be back with another team preview podcast on Monday. We hope you have a wonderful weekend.